Please open your Bible to Matthew 12. And we are going to be continuing our series through this uh, wonderful book. Puts on display Jesus Christ for us. And as you turn there, I want to wish you all a Happy New Year. Uh, you know, the turning the calendar from one year to another is a very interesting thing in our culture. There's this unusual amount of reflection, looking back and looking ahead, that takes place around this time. So people take a look back at their, their highlights and their accomplishments, or maybe they look back and they, they uh, take stock of their challenges and disappointments. And they also look forward to what might be coming in the, in the next year. So they set goals and make resolutions. A recent study found that nearly half of Americans make New Year's resolutions each year. And the same study found that by the end of the year, only 9% of these people are successful. Now, one of the most popular New New Year's resolutions every year is in America is to eat healthier. And uh, a friend pointed out to me that it's ironic that this is the case because many of these people have already decided this year to put this off until Monday. Right? I mean, we had Saturday, Sunday, let's just wait until Monday before we really start eating healthier. Now, with this kind of failure rate, the way we talk about resolutions, it makes you wonder what value we really place on the words that we say. The, the definition of a resolution, what a res- resolution is, is a firm decision to do something or not to do something. So we're, we're resolved to do this or to not do that. And millions of resolutions are going to be made this year. But most of them will turn out to be not really resolutions at all, somewhat meaningless. And this all makes sense in light of a culture who has generated a seemingly incalculable number of words on the internet, through social media, and through commentary, and through just thoughts and and information on pointless topics. I was actually, I looked up last night, I was looking up if there was, how many words the average person says. In a, in a given day or in a lifetime. And I came across one article that, that basically said, hey, I went down this rabbit hole on the internet trying to find this out, and nobody has any clue. I mean, people guess from like, there would be numbers from 2,000 words a day to 30,000 words a day. And none of it was really based on any substantive research or any, any data. It was pretty interesting. So they said, I wasted all this time so you don't have to. I said, all right, pr- appreciate that. That's the internet for us. I mean, we, we live in a world that wants us to believe, with all of these words, words, words everywhere, wants us to believe that words really don't matter that much. But at the same time, this world tries to do all it can to say what we say matters a great deal. Over the last several years, we've seen this regularly in our culture. Someone says something that our culture views as demeaning or derogatory, and then they get canceled. For some, they lose their their livelihood because of what they said once upon a time. So we live in this world where talk is both cheap and incredibly costly. So how should we then speak? How should we understand our words? More importantly, far more important question, what does Jesus have to say about what we say? And God, in his grace and kindness, he doesn't leave it up to us to figure this out on our own. We don't have to, by trial and error, kind of figure out, oh, what what does God have to say about what we say? God, in His grace and kindness, gives us His Word and speaks about our words. 
Now this section that we come to in Matthew 12 provides us with Jesus' thoughts on the importance of our words. And this section has to be understood in light of its context and and the words of Jesus, in particular at the end of Matthew 11. And at the end of Matthew 11, we have this incredible invitation from Jesus. And he says this in, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus bids us to come. Jesus does not come as a detached or a distant deliverer. He doesn't walk as one who is unapproachable or unavailable. Like, I don't really have time for you guys. In fact, the very opposite of true is true of Jesus. He comes with this, this gracious invitation to, to come and find rest in Him. And Matthew's narrative in Matthew chapter 12 follows this invitation with, with the religious leader's rejection of Jesus. Jesus has made this invitation to come, and Matthew is detailing how these religious leaders, they don't accept this invitation. But as we saw last week, it's, it's not just that they don't accept Jesus, they're also seeking to keep others from accepting Jesus' invitation. They're speaking words against the Holy Spirit, and these words will be their condemnation. Now, it's in this context that we come to our text this morning. And here we see Jesus provide us with these specific thoughts on the importance of our words. So let's look together at His Word. And, and these are the most important words that are going to be said during this sermon. As I read from the infallible, inerrant, sufficient Word of God for us. Hear the word of the Lord in Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 33. Jesus says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. I'm going to pray this prayer of uh, George Herbert, a Christian in in the 16th and 17th centuries. Bow your heads with me. O make your word, O Lord, a swift word, passing from the ear to the heart, from the heart to the lip and conversation, that as the rain returns not empty, so neither may your word, but accomplish that for which it is given. O Lord, help us this morning. Amen. Amen. We're going to walk through our text under three main headings, and the first one is this, a picture, a picture. We see this picture that Jesus paints with his words in verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. Now, one of my favorite discoveries of 2021 was an app that Gene Mays told me about, and it's called Picture This. And I've told some of you about it as well. And, but before I describe this app, I do want to apologize to our resident tree doctor because this app is pretty pitiful compared to what he is capable of. But I digress. This, this app is amazing because I can be on a hike somewhere and I can take out my phone and I can take a picture of a tree 
or a bush, and I take that picture, and it scans it, and it says, that's what it is. And it's amazing. It blows my mind every time. And it's, it, I think, works. I mean, I guess I wouldn't be one to know whether or not it works or not, but what it tells me seems pretty reliable. <laughs> now, how can this app possibly do this? I have no idea. But it is amazing, and I would venture to guess that it has a lot to do with the foliage and the fruit that the plant produces. That's what you're taking a picture of. And this is really the only hope that I have of distinguishing one tree from another. It, it has to have fruit. It has to have something to see. I can tell the difference between an apple tree and a lemon tree, as long as it's bearing fruit. You know, I'm walking around, and I, oh, this tree has yellow fruits on it, and they look like lemons. It must be a lemon tree. And this tree over here, oh, it's got these red, shiny things. They look like apples. It must be an apple tree. I don't get the two confused when there's fruit on them. And Jesus is making this simple point with this picture that he gives us. You know a tree by the fruit that it bears. You know what the tree is by the fruit that it bears. So what about you? What about you? Who you are is seen in what you do and in what you say. This is the fruit that our lives bear. So we are like these trees bearing fruit through all that we do and say. Now there once was a baseball player named Casey Stengel. And Stengel, eventually he became the manager of the New York Yankees, and he won five straight World Series, 1949 to 1953. Now while Stengel is famous for what he accomplished in his baseball career, he's arguably more famous for the things that he said during his baseball career. Uh, he he's had all kinds of little quips that he said, and uh, he was very quotable. Uh, one time on whether a pitcher threw an illegal pitch or not, he said, I don't know if he throws a spitball, but he sure spits on the ball. After a loss one game, he told reporters, you know, the Yankees don't pay me to win every day, just two out of three. He said this one time, he said, never make predictions, especially about the future. Another time he said, uh, they say it can't be done, but sometimes that doesn't always work. <laughs> I like this one. He says, uh, there are three kinds of people, those who make things happen, those who watch things happen, and those who ask, what happened? <laughs> and kids, you can try this one. If you walk backwards, you'll find out you can go forwards and people won't know if you're coming or going. <laughs> try it out at home. You'll figure that one out. Now, one time, Casey Stengel was given a position on the board of directors for a California bank, and the Wall Street Journal came and interviewed him about this and asked him about what he did, what his responsibilities were. And he replied this. He said, there ain't nothing to it. You go into the fancy meeting room, and you just sit there and never open your yap. As long as you don't say nothing, they don't know whether you're smart or dumb. <laughs> Casey Stengel understood something about our words. Not only do they matter, not only do they have consequence, but they say something about who we are. What we say reveals who we are, and this is exactly what Jesus is telling us here. Casey Stengel understood that your words can either show that you're smart or you're dumb. And in a similar way, Jesus says that your fruit will put you into one of two categories. There are only two types of people, two possibilities, good or bad. 
This brings us to our, our second heading. So we have a picture, these two trees. Now we have a problem. A problem. In verse 34, Jesus says, You brood of vipers. He's speaking to the Pharisees here. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus turns and calls the Pharisees, those who see themselves as these obedient followers of God, these paragons of virtue, those, these experts and teachers of the law, he calls them a brood of vipers. And kids, I would not encourage you to call one of your siblings a brood of vipers because that would incriminate you as well because a brood of vipers means children of snakes, offspring of vipers. Why would Jesus call the Pharisees offspring of vipers? Now, the, the people of Israel, they had this hatred and this fear of vipers because vipers are venomous and deadly. And Jesus is saying that's what you are as Pharisees because their words, what they said, was doing far more harm than good. Their words were like this poison spreading throughout the community. So Jesus calls them children of snakes. Now, Jesus, in this, Jesus is pointing out Thou, that while what the Pharisees were saying, it was, a, it was a problem, the far bigger problem was found not in what they said, but in who they actually were. Because words reveal who we are. The problem Jesus confronts the Pharisees with at this point, and now confronts us all with, is this. Our problem is inside of us. It's in what we treasure. It's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. Now this phrase, the, the abundance of the heart, speaks to what we are full of. Now it's not speaking literally, like my heart is full of blood, so that's what's going to come out of my mouth. Not literally, but Jesus is using the heart to refer to all that directs our thoughts and our actions and our emotions. He, he uses the heart to refer to the center of who we are, the very essence of our being. And whatever's in there is going to come out in our words. So that which we love most, that which we think the most about, that which we want the most, those things are going to come out in our words. So Jesus explains it this way in verse 35. He says, The good person... Out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So here Jesus is giving us another picture. This time it's of a person who has treasure that's stored away. And when that person goes inside to bring out his treasure, he can only bring out what's already there. He can only bring out what's been stored up. What he has seen as precious and valued. And, and kept away for himself. He can only bring out that stuff. If he stored up Pokemon cards and hobbies and home decor, he cannot go into a storehouse and bring out Chinese food. Like he can only bring out what's there. And what is there is that which he values most. If a person is good, then what they value will be good. And when they speak, what are they going to bring out? They're going to bring out good because that's the treasure that they have. But the problem is, this is the problem. The same is true for the person who is evil. 
And it's our mouths that then reveal our hearts. So consider for a moment your words. Consider your fruit. Is it good or bad? Do they come from a good tree or a bad tree? Have you stored up good treasure or bad treasure? Consider your speech in light of Paul's words in Ephesians 4.29. He says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. He doesn't say let just a little bit of corrupting talk out of your mouth. He says let no corrupting talk out of your mouths. Instead, speak only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion. So the right words at the right time that it may give grace to those who hear. Do your words do this? I can answer for myself that far too often they do not. I don't speak the right words at the right time to build others up. I, speak, I might speak some right words, but I speak them at the wrong time. Or I speak the wrong words and I feel like it's the right time. My impatience and anger, they don't fit the occasion. My criticism and sarcasm tear others down. Often our words just don't give grace to those who hear. They don't build others up. James describes our problem this way in this sobering passage in James chapter 3. He, he calls the tongue a fire. He says the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Another translation describes that as a world of evil. Evil. The tongue is a world of evil. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. You know, it was remarkable even for me this morning, as I've been meditating on this passage, studying this passage, reflecting on this passage, even this morning, the hour before I arrived here, I'm wrestling with everything that I say Because so much of what I say, I just can't tame. And I give vent to the things that in those moments I'm valuing. And so I'm I'm impatient or I'm tempted to be angry. Things, I I don't deserve this. Things shouldn't have to go this way. My seven-year-old shouldn't need my help this morning. Like, doesn't she know all that I am doing? These are the temptations. And I'm like, no, no. (laughs) Like, Stop. But I can't, it's, it's a tire. It's a, my tongue is a fire. It's a world of evil. Each day we show this inability con- to control our tongue. Each hour we put this on display. So with our tongues and our words, we build up and we tear down. We encourage and we criticize. We love and we hate. We bless and we curse. But our problem is not in what we say. That's not where our problem really lies. We could talk a lot about good communication skills and, and three steps to better communication or whatever. But that's, that's not going to help our problem. That's only going to be stapling on some fruit to the tree, some good fruit to the tree. Because our real problem is, what is in what is revealed through what we say. And what our mouths often reveal is that there is a problem in what we treasure. 
This is what was revealed in, in my heart this morning. We have the same problem that the Pharisees had. We, we spread poison with our words because we treasure the wrong things. So what, what things do we treasure? I just want to name, mention three. Three that, that came to mind that convicted me. One thing that I treasure, and you might as well, is your own way. You want things to go according to your plans. And so this morning when my child is not behaving according to my own way, I use my words in an impatient manner. I don't, I'm not building up through what I say because I treasure my own way. I want things to go according to the way of Devon. And when they don't, then I use my words to let people know about it. I'm treasuring the wrong thing. Sometimes I treasure my own comfort. This afternoon, I know this will be a temptation for me. I'm tired. It's been, it's been a full week. It's been a full morning. Can't I just rest? Like, do I really have to do this or this or this? And that will come out in my words because I'm treasuring my own comfort more than anything else. Now, for, for uh, others, maybe it's you treasure your own reputation. And so somebody says something that's critical of you, and you're going to let them know, or you're going to let other people know to protect your own reputation. We treasure the wrong things, and this is seen through what we say. You know, James goes on in James chapter 4, and he asks this question. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Now, we, if James was writing today, we would definitely expect for James to go into some steps to improve your communication, right? Give me the practicals. Give me, give me what I need to know to stop fights and quarrels. What, what is the cause of them? James doesn't say it's your lack of communication skills. He says it's your own heart. He says this, Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? We want things so much that we will run over others with our words. Because what we say is directly connected to what we want. And so when our, our sibling does something we don't like that's not according to our way, we let them know about it. Paul Tripp describes our, our, the, the words that our idolatrous hearts produce, idle words. Not I-D-L-E, but I-D-O-L words. Idle words. And these are words that serve the idol that grips us. So much of our communication, sadly, is filled with these idle words. We want our own way. We want our own comfort. We want to protect our own reputation. We, so we, we speak words that are not up to God's standard or according to His design. And the only way to do this is to Begin with a heart that loves God above all else. And when you love God above all else, then you, then you speak in a way that, that loves your neighbor. And Proverbs 4.23 says this, it says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Keep your heart with all vigilance. We're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like in a bit. But first we have this picture, two trees, we have this problem where we speak a lot of evil. And 
this evil that we speak, what it points to is this problem inside of us, our hearts. And so then Jesus gives a preview, a preview of what is to come. To highlight how great our problem is, Jesus concludes this section with this preview of the day of judgment. And what we find is meant to alarm us. This is what Jesus says in verses 36 and 37. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. These are sobering words. Now Jesus begins with this phrase, I tell you. And what he means by that is to emphasize how serious and significant this warning is. This isn't just something, he, just, eh, I'll just say this, no big deal. No, he's very intentional about this serious warning. He's not joking around. So Jesus says that there is a day coming when we will give an account for the words we speak. Now, I don't know how many this is, but consider how many words you've spoken today. Can you remember even half of what you've said? Or consider how many words you spoke yesterday. Can you remember 10% of what you said yesterday? Or how many words did you say last year? How many of those words can you remember? What about your whole life? You've been speaking since your earliest years. Words and words and words and words. How many can you remember? How many would you want to take back if you could? I'm sure many of us might have painful flashbacks. I know I do. Of words that I've said that were meant to cause hurt to those I love. And that's normally the recipient of, of those words, those we love the most. We will attack with our words the most. And so we tell our brother or sister or our spouse, I hate you in a moment of, of anger. We're going to give an account for these words. Every one. But notice this. Jesus isn't just addressing the evil that we speak. That's certainly included in it. Titus 3, 2, speak no evil about anyone. Live in peace with all. That's certainly a part of it. We're going to even account for the evil words that we speak. But look what Jesus says we will give an account for. Verse 36. On the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Every careless word. Now the word used for careless, it means unproductive and empty. They're words that they just do nothing. They're of no significance. They're barren and worthless. So it's not just the evil that we speak that Jesus cautions us against, but the pointless words that we speak. The words that, that aren't meant to build others up. So it could be that sarcastic joke or the comment that's said under your breath. Careless words. It could be the words that you say when everybody leaves the room. 
Well, we might think these words are insignificant and no one hears them. To God, these words, they reveal what's in us. And because they reveal what's in us, we will give an account for them. But that's not all that Jesus says. It gets worse. He also says that our words will either justify or condemn us. Now, what does Jesus mean by this? Now, it's important for us to recognize that there's this legal aspect to salvation. To be saved is only possible, not just because God overcomes the devil. He's more powerful than the devil. That's certainly necessary for salvation. But salvation is only possible if sin is dealt with. There is this penalty that must be paid for wrong done, for sins committed. So sin must be punished for anyone to receive salvation. This legal aspect to salvation. What we do and say will be for us either reason for our justification or for our condemnation. If we've been righteous and good, then we will be justified. So, hey, if you've never said a word that tears somebody down, you've got nothing to worry about. But if we have been sinful, our words will condemn us. They are reason for our condemnation. Jesus is not saying that on Judgment Day, the only thing that matters is what we've said. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that our actions don't matter. But what he is saying is consistent with what he has said throughout this section. Our words matter because they show who we are. At the judgment, that is the thing that matters. Are you a good tree or an evil tree? Do you have good treasure or bad treasure stored up in your heart? That's what matters. Now this is a stunning statement by Jesus. Because while the Pharisees think they are the ones that are watching Jesus and evaluating everything that he's doing and saying... Jesus tells them that they are the ones who are being evaluated. They're the ones that are going to be judged for their words. Just as what Jesus says and does reveals who he is, so the words of the Pharisees, in our own words, they show who we are. So if our words will either justify or condemn us, and I'm just going to speak for everyone here, our words will condemn us. What hope is there For us, what hope is there? Our only hope is not found in looking at ourselves. It's not found in finally just getting it right, figuring out this whole communication thing. It's not found in tips for better talk. Our only hope is found in Jesus Christ. The Word made flesh. Like what Paul Tripp says, he says this, he says, Our world of talk does not have to be a world of trouble. For this one reliable reason, the Word has come. Our world of talk does not have to be a world of trouble. For this one reliable reason, the Word has come. The Word indeed has come and done for us what we could not do. He never spoke a careless or an evil word. He never criticized in unrighteousness. He never was angry in pride. He never was impatient in selfishness. He was right in all his words. All his words. Righteous in all his ways. He always spoke the right words at the right time. And the perfect righteousness that God requires 
God has provided in the coming of His Son. Not only that, but Jesus Christ Himself, He fully paid for all our sins with His blood. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Thanks be to God. So how do we respond? What do we do with this? Our only hope is to be united to Christ. It's in our old self dying and being made new in Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning and you recognize that that you're not a Christian, you have not been united to Jesus, you should be sobered by Jesus' warning. Be very sobered by Jesus' warning. Your words will be for you condemnation on the day of judgment. That day is coming and everyone will give an account. And let it not be for you that all you have to say is, well, Jesus, look at what I said. That will be... So be sobered by Jesus' warning. But accept Jesus' invitation. Remember where we began at the end of Matthew 11. Jesus invites us to come. If you are weary and, and burdened from all your efforts that have just always come up failure after failure after failure, like those New Year's resolutions... You make them and you never finish them. Such is your life. And Jesus says, come. Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. May you find rest for your soul in Him. Isaiah 45.22 says this, Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God. And there is no other. There is no other solution to this great dilemma that you face as you, as you see your sin and as you will encounter judgment. There's no other solution than to turn to Him and be saved. So turn to Him and trust in what He has done for you. That's if you're not a Christian. If you are a Christian, if you have been united to Christ, take heart in God's promise to His people. He says this in Ezekiel 36, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And thanks be to God, because for those united to Jesus Christ, for those who have put their faith in His work of redemption on their behalf, this is what He's done. You have a new heart. Thanks be to God. So then, live now as you are. This is who you are because of what Jesus has done. And while we're justified by faith alone... That faith, as it's often been said, is never alone. So walk in the new life you have in Him, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 2.24. He says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. This is what we have the opportunity to do every day. 
We can speak with the joy of those who have received an imperishable inheritance. We can speak with that joy in every circumstance, every context, every conversation. We can speak with joy who knows that their future is secure. We can speak with the kindness of one who has received grace upon grace. When you are aware of how much you have been given by God in His grace, it's very easy to extend grace to others when we're living in the good of that. I recently took, uh, took one of my sons on, on a trip, and it was a wonderful time just blessing him. And there was a temptation that I encountered as I went through that trip where I wanted to feel like he owes me something now because of all I'm doing for him. I deserve him to speak to me a certain way or respect me a certain way because of what I've done for him. I was just so convicted in light of the grace that I have received from Jesus Christ. How can I not extend that grace willingly and generously and unconditionally to others? And may we all speak that way. May we speak with kindness as those who have received grace upon grace. And may we also speak with confidence. Speak with confidence as those whose hope in life and in death is kept secure in Jesus Christ. I love what we, what we sang earlier. What truth can calm the troubled soul? God is good. God is good. And where is His grace and goodness known? In our great Redeemer's blood. I'm going to, remember, I'm going to forget the rest of it. Who holds our days within His hand? what comes apart from His command, and what will keep us to the end. I think I've conflated several verses, but it's all good, and it's all true. Thanks be to God. And so may we speak with confidence and with joy because we want to live in light of who God is and who God has made us to be. So live as you are. And when He shall come with trumpet sound, you will then in Him be found. And on that day of judgment, you will be dressed in His righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. What a hope we have in Jesus as those who look to Him and trust in Him and place their faith in Him. We'll be faultless to stand before His throne. In spite of all the evil words that we have spoken, we find forgiveness and redemption in the blood of Jesus. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for Your Word which speaks to us. Thank you that you are a God who came speaking, revealing himself so that we might know you, that we might follow you, that we might treasure you. Lord, would you conform our hearts to this word that we may obey you, that we may speak grace to others, that we may speak words that fit each occasion. Lord, help us to guard our tongues from speaking careless words. Help us to guard our tongues from speaking critical words. And Lord, help us to speak in light of who we now are. As those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, help us to speak grace to one another. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.